0: Going into First John again today. Last week uh, was we were in First John uh, with a series. We uh, discussed kind of the, the very foundation, the rock of what it is. Like our faith is based upon reality, right? That was that first chapter, verses one through four. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at it with our hands, I have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Right? Like John talks about how God appeared and it's real. Our faith is not based upon hearsay. It's, it's based upon actual uh, a, a human, a, a person that came in the flesh, God, who came in the flesh and proved that he's God, walked amongst us, and uh, was seen by thousands, did all these things. Our faith is based upon truth and evidence. Now, today as we get into 1 John, uh, we're going to look at the the five reasons that the apostle, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that he pens this letter to to the church. And there's five of them scattered throughout. And he says, "This is why I'm writing these things." And so, there that you might. So we said to be mighty. That's why we did it. Now, of course, before we get into today's message, we want to. Oh no, I don't have my clicker today. So. We'll just wait for a second, but we're going to be going into, if you, take your, uh, if you want to open up to the book of First John while we're, we're waiting on that, it's uh, on page uh, 855, and you can turn there uh, as we get there this morning, and okay, looks like we're good to go, so here we are. Our memory verse this morning is First uh, John 5.13. And this really summarizes, I think, the, the heart of the whole letter of 1 John, why he wrote that. And I think that it's something that's good for all of us. John wrote, I said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you ever been in a time in your life where your faith seemed pretty weak, right? Where you were just really struggling and you wonder, am I right with God? This book is about to help us to put those tests so that we can have our hearts put at rest. And so that we will know that we have eternal life. And so the biggest things, the most important things are there. That's why, right? To have that kind of peace with God and the peace in the Spirit. So this is uh, what we'll be memorizing because that will help us really kind of summarize really the, where the book is, but also really the, the Spirit in there. That God wants us to have a wonderful assurance he doesn't want us to wander around our whole life wondering, you know, am I in the kingdom or am I just distant from God? It lets us, reminds us that we're loved by God and he's there and that we have a purpose, right? It's a powerful verse. So take time this week and memorize it. Of course, you are already at First John because so we got a, uh, a little bit ahead of it. Now let's explore these five mites that we have in Scripture. The first one that John writes about is that we might have fellowship, and we find that in 1 John 1, 3, and if that sounds familiar to you, it should, because that was last week's memory verse. But if you weren't here last week, or whatever was hard, let me read it for you. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, fellowship is really the key to the first two chapters, right, as we, we go through in the uh, in first John, it's divided up into two major tests. The first test is a test of fellowship, right? The second one is a test of, of sonship, or that's really our salvation, our relationship with God. But the first two, it talks about fellowship, and that is our union with Christ. Now, our daily fellowship with Christ will change, right? Think about your, your relationship with your best friend, right? There are some days that you're really, really close, and some days that you're kind of distant, but they're still your best friend. Or think about your relationship, if you've got kids, with your kids, or if, you're a, if, uh, if you have parents, maybe, uh, relationship with them, right? You are always family, no matter what you feel about them, right? You're family. But then the, fellow, or the, the fellowship that you have, sometimes it's really, really tight, and sometimes it's not so tight. Well, we're talking about fellowship. And John writes this so that we have fellowship with God, that we'll be close with him. There's this, there's this intimacy that we have with God. And there's a benefit to that, isn't it? And that's one of the things that God wants for us to have. And I want you to think about how amazing that is for just a second. We're stinkers, aren't we? I mean, really, if you thought about it, if you got to be trapped in a room with you forever, would you be happy? But God's making a room for you with him. In fact, it says he comes and abides in our own hearts. He experiences every Every moment, sleeping and awake with us. I mean, even our prayers, we don't even have to to put them into into sound for him to know them. He knows the cries of our very hearts. Our God is a God who wants relationship. He didn't build us to be slaves. And he didn't build us for war. and He didn't build us that there would be this strife and, and it's humanity versus God. That's not why he built us. He made us so that we would have fellowship. That would be, we would know him. as he knows us. Now we get to the point where, where we also begin to, to just know the thoughts of God. That's what it tells us in scripture, why we meditate on it. So we can begin to, to understand what, what is important to God. How does he see things? Because he's already done that in us, hasn't he? What an amazing God that is. He's not looking at us from a distance. He comes very, very close, closer than the best friend or the closest brother. And he invites us to have and enjoy that relationship. Now, the thing is, is that God is always going to do his part. He's always good. He's always loving. He's always forgiving, right? He's merciful and, and kind. We're not always that way. Have you noticed that? When there's a break in fellowship between us and God, it's not that God has made himself distanced. It's that we oftentimes put a block between us and God, right? And when those times happen, we feel that separation as we should. One of the things that John writes to us in this book is that we can evaluate our daily life. to say, are we putting up barriers between us and God? Are we, are we hurting that fellowship between us and the God who saves us and can help us? Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. But it goes beyond that because Jesus said in the greatest commandments, love God with everything, right? Your heart, soul, mind, strength, spirit, right? Everything that you are, right? But everything else, that's what He wants. He wants that kind of fellowship. But Jesus couldn't just leave that alone saying, well, that's just the first and greatest commandment and that's it. No, there had to be another one that is, that is just as important, right? Love other people like yourself. Care for them. There's a fellowship that God desires amongst his children. There's something that's so much more than realize that Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is a family. It is a relationship. We are called a body, not a business. When one part hurts in Scripture, it says that just naturally, not out of obligation, but all the rest just... How are we supposed to hurt if somebody's hurting if we don't know them? And when one celebrates, we're all supposed to celebrate. How does that happen? Well, I think it begins that fellowship starts when we become real. And we really start pursuing God and recognizing the grace that we have. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, and God still loves me. And if God can love me as imperfect as he knows that I am, then maybe I have the ability and the capacity to love you as imperfect as you are. And Jesus told a great parable about this, didn't he? There was this rich guy, right? He had had a lot of money and a lot of his accounts, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he was was doing business and and he realized that there was this one fellow that owned like a billion dollars. And so he brings that guy and says, hey, listen, you need to pay me back that billion dollars because it's hurting my bottom line. And the guy says, I can't pay back a billion dollars, not for the rest of my life. There's no way I could ever pay. I can't even really pay the interest on that, right? He's stuck. And the business owner says, fine, then I guess you'll be my slave. You and your family, because that'll be, I guess that's what we'll do. We'll just write it off. You can my slaves. That's how it'll work. And the man says, I don't want to be a slave, and I don't want my family to be slaves. Please, please, no. And the rich businessman says, well, okay. He had compassion on him and said, all right. Debt's wiped away. It's free. Can you imagine being that man? Your life just given to you. And the man, he, he, he's forgiven of this amazing debt. And he leaves this office and he goes down the hall and he's just like, ah, right? Just like the best day. And he sees his buddy who owes him 20 bucks. And he says, hey, you got that 20 bucks? And his friend says, man, I don't got that 20 bucks right now. I'm so sorry. And this man who was just forgiven by so much, he calls over the guard and he says, Arrest this guy. He owes me 20 bucks. He doesn't have it. You know, he's a worthless slime ball." And gets the man locked up. Of course, the businessman hears about this. And he says, Wait a second. That's not right. Didn't I just forgive him like a billion dollars and now he's making a big stink over 20? So he calls the, the man back into his office and he says, What's this I hear? about you treating your friend this way. so I'll tell you what, I, I forgave you a huge debt, didn't I? But you couldn't show that debt, and you couldn't forgive everybody else? Well, now you owe all that billion dollars back. <laughs> what a powerful story. <laughs> I think for us, it recognizes that in the kingdom of God, forgiveness is not something that's just an obligation. It's a recognition of who, what we've been forgiven of, right? All of us fall short of the standing of God, right? All of us have been separated from him. All of us. I mean, because you think about yourself and you think about the ways that you act and that God is perfect and loving and kind and even still, after we've been forgiven, think of the times, how many times you put God to the test. How many times you told him to get out, I'm going to do things my own way, right? I know that you forgave me, I know you did these things, but I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm going to do things I know you don't even want me to do and I don't care. And that same God, right, who forgives us and, and, and loves us even in the midst of our own little stinkernish, right? We were just bad and He still loves us. Can we not also care for each other? I think it goes to the fact that we recognize that we've been received compassion and so we can give compassion. What a great gift. You know, scientists have done some research and talked about how God built our brains as far as fellowship goes. And One of the things they, they did is they, they put these, uh, this is a great test, talks about how human nature is. And they put people in a room, a one-sided glass, and they, they had an actor on the other side, they, people on the first side didn't know it was an actor, and they had a bowl of chili and they had three different levels of hot sauce. And they so say, you could put any kind of hot sauce, you know, mild, medium, or death, right? You could just put any kind of hot sauce, however much you want, and that person on their side has to eat it. And they can't see you, so you just put how much you want in. You know, originally, when, when nothing else happened, people always put like a little tiny bit of the mild in because people want to be compassionate. And then what the, they, they had a second group in, and the guy who sat behind the, 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 the glass, the actor, he'd come in and he'd be, he'd be mean to the people as they were walking. He'd like bump them in the shoulder and be like, hey, You're, like he was just not nice. Right? And then he would go sit on the other side of the one-way glass. And the people would sit there and they're like, oh, justice. Right, And they would pour death in, just like. Ugh! right, Because we want justice, right? You've been driving in your car and somebody cuts you off and you're like, I would punch them in the face. Although you're just a gentle, nice soul, right? But you feel that way. Well, they had an opportunity to get justice and so they took it. But then the third group that they had in is they had these that same guy, the actor would come in and be mean, but as the participants, the subjects of the test, would come into the room and they would sit down, the person that was administrating the test would be really nice to them. He would say, hey, can I get you a drink of water? Oh, you look great today, right? Nice stuff. They, he would show them grace. And you know what happened? Is the people, they didn't choose to pour in death anymore against this guy who was so mean to them. They had received mercy, and so they were apt to give mercy. You know, the God who created us knew how he built us. That's why it says later in First John, it says that we know how to love because he first loved us. That's why the foundation of it is that Jesus actually came and loved us. But you have been loved. And one of the things that we're going to look at in this, this book as we go through this is that you will have fellowship. You recognize, receive the fellowship you have with God, right? And from that is what gives us the compassion and the ability to have fellowship with one another. If we get through the book of First John... And you don't recognize, you, you don't start having a relationship that's closer with God and closer with other Christians, and you're reading it wrong. Because it's one of the reasons that God gave this to us. The second reason that God gave us this book is that you might have joy. That's in the very next verse. We write this to make our joy complete. In other words, joy in 1 John is only used here. This is the only time that we find it. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness happens based upon your circumstances, doesn't it? You can be, have like a really, really, really happy day. You go to the grocery store, somebody bangs their, their cart into your car door, and now you're not happy anymore, right? Happiness comes and goes. And we like happiness, but it's fickle, isn't it? And we can't base our life around what makes us happy. But joy is something much deeper. Joy is an abiding presence. Abiding means it just lives in us. Joy goes to the fact that we know that Christ has overcome this world, that there's, that justice wins, that love wins, right? Regardless of what I see, that I'm okay, right? That, that the goodness actually exists, that there is hope and purpose. See, the blessings of joy is seen throughout this letter, even though the word is only seen here once. It talks about this stability that we have in life that keeps us from getting fooled by the enemy to just give up. Joy is so necessary, especially now, isn't it? We need it. We need to remember that there is something bigger than this world. There is a better hope than anything. So happiness when it comes, we can enjoy it all the more because we know that our hope is not based upon it, but when it's taken away, we have the stability to ride through those storms. John writes this letter that our joy would be complete, made full. That we wouldn't just and you think about when our joy is filled, we call that joyful. And that should be the mark of Christians, right? Regardless of where we are in life, or if I'm having a bad week or a good week, if my health is up or down, right? If people are nice to me or mean, there's this joy that just, just permeates our life. And it's attractive. Because most people in this world are just eking out a living just trying to survive in a very harsh and cold environment, right? Where it seems like it's them against the world. What kind of joy is there in that? And the best thing that they can hope for is to find a little bit of happiness here and there. And I'll tell you, if you're a person like that and you see a joy-filled person, they look very attractive and you wonder, what do they have? And I know that's true because before I became a Christian, I came across joy-filled people. And it boggled my mind and I know that it's true because after I become a Christian and as I've grown in Christ and my joy has grown I've had people come and ask me as we've gone through difficult things and they've seen it and they say why are you not just angry and bitter and I said at times I am but I know that there's a better hope to be joy filled is one of the things one of the the fruits of the spirit is it not? The longer we're in Christ, the more that we have joy. God didn't put you here to try to just eke out a living. He wants to fill your life with joy, to make it complete. And as we read through this book, we have to remind ourselves, this is not just words for other people. This is hope for us today. This gives us the ability, if you were reading 1 John, you will find reasons for joy of course that joy comes right on the heels of having fellowship with God and fellowship with each other, doesn't it? At least that's what I find here, the very next verse. So as we go through this book, if you're not increasing in your joy, then maybe you're reading it wrong, and maybe God has something much better for you. The next thing that he writes to us is that we might not sin. Verse or Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you do not sin. Well, there you go. I think there's this thing that there's a penalty of sin that's been taken care of us in Christ, for us in Christ. We talk about that in the last three chapters, right? But the first two chapters where it talks about fellowship with God, sin still affects our fellowship with God. And it doesn't mean that God abandons us, but think about people that you like. You have a best friend, and all of a sudden they start being really mean to you, right? You still care about them, don't you? It's not like you just ride them off, but it does affect your relationship, right? You've got a really, really nice dog. The dog's really good, and all of a sudden it starts biting you every time you come in. It's going to affect your fellowship, isn't it? Here's the thing. God loves you, period, done. But the sin that we do is, it's an offense, Right? Can you imagine if you hung around people that were always just uh, the, just doing things they knew would offend you and they didn't care? That would be so hard to get to love them, wouldn't it? I and mean, God still loves you, but our sin is, is basically telling God, we're going to do things our way, no thank you. We're disobedient children, right? We, we want to do what we want to do, and we don't care what he has to say. That is no way for a Christian to live. And because there's, this, because there's, this, uh, there's this, this fear of us tying in works to salvation, which we know we're not saved by works, oftentimes as Christians we say, well, it doesn't matter what we do. I'm just saved. Yes, you are saved. But what you do and how you live matters, and it affects your relationship with God. There is a pure and a holy life that God calls us to, pure, thinking about that. Is that a bad thing? When you go to the store and you buy bottled water, right? Do you want to go and just get, you know, like sewer tap or gray water? Or you buy it themselves on the bottle, it says pure, doesn't it? Much better. When you buy a ring, you want pure gold. Not, you know, cheap knockoff that will turn your skin green. Purity. God wants us to be pure. Right, according to who we truly are. He wants to purify us. Now, we could have gone the other way, too. We could be pure evil. But God wanted us to be pure. He made us a new person in Christ. And he calls us to a life of purity, a life that actually aligns with who we are and who he is. That's a great thing. It leads to a better life. And holiness just means different, set apart. Are you tired of just running the rat race? God calls you to better things. Holiness just means it's different. Be different in the best possible way. Be a joy filled person, a person filled with love and kindness and goodness. This old way of living that we had to be saved from is a dead way of living. Wouldn't we agree? As Christians, we need to find out how we have victory over sin. Right? That's it's what he writes about. Not that we have to save ourselves, God saves us. But that we can be sanctified, made holy, made different. Don't you want to see that in your life? Are you tired of struggling with the same poor personality characteristics year after year? God has something better for you. But you have a say in that, don't you? That you might not sin. God wants, he's calling you to a better life. And as we read 1 John, if you are not challenged to live a, a holy life, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of, out of promise, that God will be there and help you and give you the power to live a different way. If you're not finding your life conforming more and more and more to, to, to who you truly are and this person that he's called you to be and to his character, then you're reading it wrong. As we go through this book, there is that challenge, Right? that we might not sin. But you know what? We all sin, don't we? Every Christian still does, which is why there's that next verse, the next sentence, but if everyone, anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. You know, advocate, another word for that would be our lawyer. That Jesus is up there, he's like, price is paid. It's not about Christians pretending that we're perfect. That's not it at all. It's just being quite honest. In fact, some places in here it says if you claim that you haven't sinned, you're a liar. Some places it says you claim you're without sin, that you make God out to be a liar because he says that you're a sinner, right? It's not us as Christians saying, I don't struggle with sin. It's saying, I know I struggle with sin. <laughs> and I need God's help so that I might not sin. And But when I do, praise God that Jesus is up there on my behalf. We have the best lawyer ever. And all he has to do is show the scars before God and says, paid in full, right? But the thing is, we don't want to live on that that grace forever just to say, well, it doesn't matter then. Jesus is just up there all the time saying, it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven. We want to also be changed because there's a better life for us. Third thing that he has us to do is that we might overcome error. Verse 26, doctrine matters next page, it says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as has taught you, remain in him. False teachings was, why, was one of the main things why John wrote this letter, wasn't it? People teaching some crazy things about about God. The first one is that because they had this false idea that matter was evil, like anything physical was evil, and therefore they said, well, if Jesus is God, then he can't have been a person. And so it was just basically a big heavenly you know, trick, a hoax. Jesus just looked human. And so John writes to say, no, no, he was definitely human, and he absolutely died on a cross, because if Jesus didn't die on the cross, there's no forgiveness of sins, right? Because the penalty of sin is death, and it had to be paid for. And there were other ones that said, oh, no, 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 matter is evil and Jesus was in the flesh, therefore he couldn't be God. He was just a prophet, smart guy. And John writes, no, 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 you don't understand, this is God. And he proved he was God by the things that he did. Most, uh, you know, that he rose from the dead, that's a pretty big one. But also the healings and all of the other things and kicking out demons and things, He's God. And the reason if he wasn't God, then his death, even if he was righteous, wouldn't be enough to cover the sins of the whole world because people only have one life. And one life for one sin. Well, I'm sorry, I sin a whole lot more than once by the day, right? He had to be God. He had to be eternal life to be able to save us. So he writes and he says, listen, there, is a, <laughs> there are going to be people that are going to trick you. And there was a third bad teaching, and it was more of an attitude. And we still have this attitude today that spiritual things can only be understood by a spiritual few, Right? Started with this, the, eventually became this, this heresy called Gnosticism, which just means knowledge. And there were these people that would walk around and say, we are more spiritual than you. We know what the Bible says, but what it actually means is, God speaks to me, not you. And because I know better than you, you just have to follow me. And John rises and he says, listen, you have the Holy Spirit. Now he says you don't need teachers. It doesn't mean you need pastors. Otherwise, a lot of other places in Scripture where it says God gifted the church with pastors and teachers and all those, right? That would be contradictory to what those are saying. What it says is this: You have to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. You can't just blindly follow like lemmings. God has given you the Holy Spirit. He will help you, and we need to overcome error, right? If, if If there are things that are being taught, I don't care how popular they are, if they are being taught and they are in contradiction to his word and his Holy Spirit brings conviction in us saying this is not right, then don't follow those things. Even if the people telling you them seem really, really smart. We have to understand that that we have the capacity, all of us, who follow God in purity. We can't ever stand before the throne of God when we get there. And God will say, why did you live a wrong life? Right? Why did you do things that were contradictory to what I told you to do? We won't have the capacity to say, well, I listened to that teacher who told me. Because he's given you his word and he's given you his Holy Spirit which is why we are challenged and, and to be what was like they called the Bereans, which is a group of Christians in the book of Acts, who when the apostle Paul even spoke, they went to the word first and they prayed about it and they studied it to make sure it lined up. All of us take responsibility. And if you are reading the book of 1 John and you are not implying your heart and your, and your soul, right? You're not, you're not prayerfully going through this and saying, God, teach me your truth, right? Then, then you're reading it wrong, <laughs> There should be a greater sense of urgency for us to be able to engage in our faith, to recognize that, that God has empowered you to live a holy life. How amazing is that? I think John emphasizes many times the things in the scriptures, that, that he addresses those three errors through this, that, that Jesus is, is man, that Jesus is God, and that we can know the truth. And he writes that to us so that we can, as a church, grow in truth. So important. The last thing he writes to us is that we might have assurance, right? So the Gospel of John, right, the same guy who wrote it, the Gospel of John tells us how to be saved, right? John three sixteen is in there, for God so loved the world, right, that whoever, um, that, that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And it tells us how to be saved. Multiple times through the Gospel of John, the apostle is writing, this is how. If you want to be saved, this is how you do it. You place faith in Jesus, this is how you do it. The epistle of 1 John, this letter, tells us how we can be sure we're saved. It's two big tests to say, this is how you know that you've been saved. 5.13, our memory verse I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's that's the qualifier. You have to believe in him. So that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Now think about that. That we have this fellowship with God, and he wants us to live in that knowledge, right? He wants us to live in that assurance. This is not a... You ever seen people that that, uh, that say, Well, you know... I confessed Christ when I was little. I was christened, right? I went through confirmation or whatever. And then they live the most pagan life, right? No change, no difference than anybody else in the world, right? And then their confidence, well, you know, I was christened back then. It doesn't matter how I live or whatever. But then there's that kind of life. It leads to a lot of doubt, doesn't it? Because I've met a lot of people that have gone through that, and they wonder, where is God? What's going on? Where is God in my life right now? How come I'm going through these sufferings? Where is he? Right? Is he even, does he even like me? We want to have assurance. Now that assurance comes with all of these other things, right? It's not an accident that John writes this at the very end of the letter after he goes through the other five. And when you have fellowship with God, do you know that you have assurance? I mean, when you're close with them, right, and you're living that way, when, when you are in your life seeing the power of God in you, helping you overcome sins, stuff that you know you can't do by yourself, doesn't that help you? right? When, when you are at a place in your life where, where you are, are understanding Scripture and you, you're abiding in it and, in the, and you're like just camping out in the Word, right, and you understand it, you say, you know, God, I'm living according to your truth, not according to your truth. you don't worry about, am I saved, because you're living with God. I think too many Christians live this life where they're like, how much sin can I get away with and still be in? And that's the wrong question. It doesn't matter how much sin, you're in. God saved you, right? Your assurance, though, that, that the question is, how close can I get to God in this life? I mean, how many people, when they buy a house, say, how close can I, can I move to the dump? right, before my foundation is lousy. Like, so, how close can I move to somewhere beautiful? That's what we would ask. In our life, we need to say, how close can I be living with God? And that's what this book helps us do. It changes the whole mindset. Not how much can I get away with, but how much can God help me get away from and to him? How can he change me? And so John gives us a series of tests through this book. In the next two weeks, we're going to go through some of those tests. We're going to look at them and to be able to examine our soul, not to say how to be saved, but to look at our faith and say, is my faith legitimate? Is a type of faith that God recognizes. That's why he gives this book to us. So that by the end, when we go through it, we can say with confidence, yes, my faith is real. I'm imperfect. God is perfect, but my faith is real. And that gives us the ability to handle all kinds of things in life, doesn't it? This is 1 John. So what are our takeaways? Well, I think it's to be mighty, to have all these things, that you might have fellowship. Right? So if you're looking at your life right now and you say, you know what, I'm really not close to other Christians. I really don't have a support group. I'm not connected in the church or with the church. There's something better for you. Or if you're looking at your faith, you say, you know what, I'm really feeling distant from God. This book will help you because God wants you to be close to him. You're looking at joy. I think that you might have joy. This is for you. You understand that God wants you to be a joy-filled person. And if you do a real introspection in your heart and life, you say, you know what? That is not explained. Describe me. Recognize there's a better way of living that, that God offers to you, and it's practical, and it's real, and it's, you can have it. Or how about this? You might have victory over sin. If you're looking at life and you're just, you don't like the person that you are. Or you recognize that the way that you're doing things is at odds the way that God is doing things, right? And maybe you even disagree with God about what God says is right and wrong, and you say, I disagree with him, right? (laughs) That's what got us in this whole mess to begin with, right? All of us writing our own standards of ethics. Recognize that God can transform you. And he can give you the victory that you can't earn on your own. And we'll find out how. How about this? That you can have truth. That you might be able to believe what is absolutely true. Not what people say about God, Not what what you think God might be, but you actually might believe the truth about who God is and how he's revealed himself. And that leads to the last part, that you might have assurance. And if you're looking at your life and and you've been feeling like you're just on that, walking that tightrope, saying, God, am I with you? I don't know. There is a better way of living, a a stable way of living, a way that, that lets you walk and live in grace. And God has a better way for you, that you would have an assurance that would enable you to receive his grace and to demonstrate it, to to share it with others. God wants us to be mighty, that you would have all. So how do I apply this? What are the next steps that I can do? Take out your connection cards. I invite you to do that. Because we say we're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. That's what we are. That's what Christ asked us to do as a church. Discipleship is a journey, right? It's not a giant leap. So these are just next steps, one more step in the journey. And I'll tell you, it's amazing if you just start taking small steps in the right direction, it's amazing how quickly you get to where you want to go. But if we, don't, we stand still, you will never get anywhere. These are next steps. So maybe the first thing you do on the back, you say, this week I commit to, maybe it's memorized, First John 5.13. That's where you begin this week, is to start to transform your very thinking. You tattoo God's word on your, your heart. Right? You put the lens of God's word you know, over, over your thinking. Right, It helps transform how you perceive the world. And you start this week, maybe that's what you begin with, is 1 John 5.13. And not just memorizing what it says, but think about how it applies to your life. That's called meditation. And it sounds real spiritual, so you can impress people. Right? I'm memorizing and meditating on God's word, and they're like, ooh. And you're like, yeah, but I just had this card. Right? It's from God's word, and I'm thinking about it. these things were written to me, I believe in the name of the Son of God. He's the Son of God. Jesus is God. That that I might know. I have eternal life. What kind of peace that can give. Maybe that's where you start. Or maybe what you want to do this week is read the Gospel of John. The next two weeks, we're going to read the the first John, which talk about how to test our faith to make sure to say, uh, to test to say, uh, is my faith the, the kind that God wants? But maybe just read the book the Gospel of John. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus say? How did he act? What did he, what did he tell us to do? How am I saved? And maybe that's where you begin this week, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and it's always great to have a refresher. Because the world loves to tell us what Jesus said. And they're usually wrong. You can actually read what he said and what he did. I encourage you to do that this week. Something for all of us I'd ask you to do pray for Easter. I'm not kidding about this. God, there's, we saw in the book of Daniel the power of prayer, right? There's a spiritual war going on. But you know what? We want to declare peace. We want to help there to be a peace declared in the hearts of the people of Estes between them and God. And they can receive the same grace that we have. I'll tell you, it's gonna require us as the church to be able to pray. In fact, there's many times in scripture that says that God's people actually repent and say, In my life I'm walking away from you, I want to walk with you, God. Right, help me. But also I want you to have the same compassion on my neighbor as you showed to me. That God does things, He changes hearts. And I would invite you, in fact I would implore you, please be praying. Be praying that God would not just fill this church, but all of the churches in Estes with, with, with people that need to hear the gospel. Pray for us pastors that we would preach it clearly, and that the gospel wouldn't be muddled by some kind of fancy wording or anything like that that it would be understood. Pray for receptive hearts, that people would be able to receive and say, you know what, I know I'm not perfect, but God loves me too, and so they could receive it and respond. Pray for your witness for for the fellowship of the church, that we wouldn't be so you know, overcome by here's an event and then we just do a thing and people just show up like a stadium thing and then they, we all leave, but that, that God would be able to show his love through us, his family, to this community. Pray for Easter. Ask you to do that. And maybe the last thing that you want to do is be mighty. And that might be any one of those five things or all five. <laughs> maybe it's that you might, have, you, know, you might have assurance. Maybe it's that you might have joy. Maybe it's that you might have fellowship. right? But whatever it is, maybe write it down and say, you know what, this is what I, I'm going to commit to this week is I'm going to pursue God in this. Maybe that I might not sin. Right? Whatever it is, write it down so that way I can be praying for you this week. Here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we do, please take these connection cards. right? Write your name on, um, on the front of them. Make sure that you, if you have a prayer request as well, write that down. I do pray for you. The more specific the prayers. I'm telling you, the more specific the answers, right? So let me know how to pray. So when I pray for you this week, I'll know how to pray. And then as the offering baskets are passed, uh, take this card, put it in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts and make this a commitment back to God. All right, so let's pray for those and then we'll have the worship team come up and, uh, and uh, be able to close us with some good worship. Let's pray. Father God, you are a loving and a kind Father, not a uh, strict and... and uh, and harsh God you've shown us love you've shown us mercy you've given us everything that we need you even protect us even from ourselves and father Lord as we go through this book of first John these next two weeks as we apply these tests of faith that you've given us help us to to have a good and introspective spirit Lord help us not to to apply these tests to others that we know but to ourselves to, to put our our faith to the test and, Lord, if there are things that are found wanting, help us, Father, in your grace. Thank you that you, you came, not so we'd be separated from you, but that we could be closer to you. So, Father, draw us to you. And, Father, we made commitments this week, so help us to keep those. Not of a legalistic obligation, but, Father, as an appeal. That we, we're, we're wanting, as a church, as your children, as your family, as your body, we want to be closer to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would do your work in our hearts and our lives and work through these. Father, I pray against the enemy and, and Father, against that uh, comfort even that would make us not want to change. But, Father, help us to to follow you. And, and Lord, I I know your word. It says when we come near you, you come near us. And I love that promise. So, Father, this week as we take steps towards you, I pray that you would would come and, and wrap your arms around us and change us from the inside out. And Father, for our our tithes and offerings that we offer back to you, Lord, we know that our security has never been in these things, but this world tells us it is. But our security is in you, and you continue to take care of us. So, Father, thank you for giving us the privilege of investing in your kingdom that others might have that same kind of security, the same kind of hope that we have. Would you please use these gifts? Father, give the, the, the pastors and the finance team and all those who, who handle those things, uh, help us to invest your resources into your, uh, what you want to do, into your plans, Father. And in all of this, Father, we're going to pray that you receive glory because you, you deserve it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.